filibuster is supported through patreon by listeners like you check us out at patreon.com slash filibuster we also get support from the ehrlich law office discrimination wage and litigation solutions for the district of columbia and northern virginia they handle workplace discrimination non-competition and non-solicitation litigation civil rights and a whole lot more for a free consultation go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster Guys, there's a thing that happens to me um, in in my life uh, where if I'm trying to do, like tonight, for example, I'm trying to do the podcast, and it seems like pretty much everyone that knows me, after not really speaking to me all day long, pretty much everyone that knows me decided at, like, we, we t- try to record at 9, and at, like, 8.50, everyone was like, we all need to speak to Jason right now immediately. Um, and so it's just like a tornado of things to do, and it's all like... It's not like, hey, how are you doing? It's like, hey, I need a decision on this. Hey, here's some information you didn't know that's going to change that. Um, and it's just like there was a stretch of time that as a site we were dealing with where it seemed like it was only when everyone was busy with something like driving or otherwise not at a computer that things would happen, um, that news would break. Like invariably news would break only when we were not in a position to do anything about it. Whereas if we sat for 24 hours at computers, ready to go, nothing would happen at all. Uh, but the moment ever, someone was like, I have to go to the bathroom, it would be like, this is when it's happening. It's happening right now. Um, yeah, peek behind the I, curtain. Uh, the Black and Red United Slack channel actually has an ongoing joke. When someone has to be away from their keyboard for a while, they come up with a major news event that will be announced while uh, they're gone. So Jason says, I'm going to be unavailable for two hours. So get ready for his Laton to be signed. Right. Like it, it's, uh, you know, whatever, whatever, like colossal uh, world changing story for the site that we would cover. I assume that we are eventually going to change, cover something that does change the actual world uh, for everybody, all 7 billion people. Um, yeah, that news event is what's going to happen, but it'll be like Ben will be in a meeting and I will be driving. Um and everyone else will be uh, at their day jobs doing their day job, and that's when it will happen. It will not be when we're all sitting around goofing off um, and, you know, talking about goats. That's not when it happens. It's only when we become occupied with other things. And I would like to ask... There is. I want to ask the world to, to get on our schedule. And I'm everyone else get on our schedule. That's a fair request. Whatever that happens to be on a yes. given day. Um, figure it out. We're not another thing that you. happens... When you invite your daughter's friend and, and her family and your neighbor with uh, another young child to your tailgate and then try to do a Facebook Live <laughs> video from the tailgate, that is the moment when the, the toddlers will have a fight over a stroller and some other some toys, essentially. Um, not, not that I'm citing firsthand experience from this Saturday or anything, but you know, that's the kind of thing I think you're talking about. A little bit, yeah. Um, and, and if you're in my shoes, what you do in that situation is just try and keep going. And then as soon as it's over, be like, well, see you later. Uh, and leave the parents to do the parenting. Like just ghost. Thanks guys. Which is what, you know, which is what you did. Hypothetically. I I saw that I could not help you at all. Uh, and it's like, well, I could just stand here not helping or I could get out of here. There were at least three other parents there that weren't involved in right. the video and I they handled yeah, it well enough fine. I'm sure the girls calmed down it was fine uh, Ben 
You okay over there? Yeah. All right. Hey, hey, welcome in. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. I'm Adam Taylor, parent of two, one of which made a, a nice cameo on the Facebook Live video this weekend. Uh, joining me as always, Ben Bromley and Jason Anderson. We're all from blackandredunited.com, where we cover DC United and soccer more generally in the DMV and the United States. We've got a good show for you tonight. It's always a good show when DC United puts a shellacking on anybody. Um, and that's just what they did to the San Jose Earthquakes this weekend, winning four to nothing over the Quakes. Um, we're going to talk about that and we're going to break down preview uh, United's two upcoming games this week against the Red Bulls on Wednesday and Columbus on Saturday. Both those games on the road and both at 730. It's, it's nice having the same start time to, to think about. Um, before we do anything though, Jason, what are you drinking to get over your, um, cacophony of of demands? uh, I don't even know how to put it. I'm, I'm broken. Um, the answer to your question is, uh, I have a, uh, a bottle of Chimay Grand Reserve, uh, which is the high end Belgian beer. Yeah. It's, it's the good stuff. I got the snifter out. Um, the Ikea snifter, which isn't actually fancy. Um, I think you need to post a picture of the Ikea yep. snifter, um, and I really hope it has giant Ikea lettering on it. No, no, it's just a, it's it. a standard glass. It's just when you go to Ikea, there's like, for like 15 cents, they'll just give you some glasses. So I went through there once and was like, oh, this thing is like a dollar. I could use a snifter, and before you know it, you have a snifter for a dollar. Um, it's, I mean, it's basically the impulse buy thing at the grocery store. It's just Ikea, instead of selling candy bars, sells, or they do sell candy bars, but also glassware. Mm-hmm. And meatballs. Famous meatballs. Uh, I'm also drinking something kind of fancy. Um, and, and it's really uh, a more of a treat yourself moment because I uh, spent the day at home with two sick children. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure it wasn't related to being up late at RFK or just being at RFK um, because they've never gotten sick from RFK before. So I'm, I'm holding out hope it's not that. Um, but it was a long day when you're home at with sick individuals who outnumber you and also don't listen to reason. Um, it, it, it wears you out. Um, so I'm drinking my, my special occasion whiskey, Michter's barrel strength, straight rye, 109.4 proof. And it is so (laughs) good. It is such a good beverage to drink neat. It's just so spicy and full and delicious. Um, and my bottle is running sadly low. I only have a few more of these pours in it. And I'm using one of them to reward myself for uh, surviving today. Because um, this is the first time I've had to do that with two kids, both of which are sick. Um, so I'm I'm running with that and owning it. Ben, what are you drinking? Are you drinking something fancy? Uh, I think so. It, de- it depends on your definition of fancy. But... Um... I am drinking uh, Devil's Backbone, which is one of my favorite breweries in Virginia. Uh, even though they've been purchased by Anheuser-Busch, doesn't matter to me. And if it matters to you, eh, <laughs> go suck a lemon. Um, well, if they move, if they do like they did with Goose Island and move production out of their original facility to a new state, then I think you could, right, you could voice haven't. an objection. Adam, okay. it was good when right, Ben just haven't. nailed it with go suck a lemon. You gotta, you gotta let I him had have to that one. <laughs> ben, enjoy your lemon. It's, 
I'm not going to because I don't need to suck a lemon. Because not, not Ben. Right. Are we talking about one giant lemon or or seven billion well, individual it, tiny lemons? Well, I don't think seven seven billion people are not going to have a problem with that. That's true. That's true. So, uh, are we talking about one big lemon or in no? We're talking about tiny in, lemons. It, we're talking about an individual lemon for the probably two hundred people who are mad about this. Okay, are you going to send them a lemon, or are they? Is no, it a BYO lemon no, situation? No, they have to go find their own lemons and suck them because they're wrong. Well, I, I expect- there is no eth- there is no ethical consumption in late stage capitalism. Well, what what variety of devil's backbone are you drinking tonight? It is appro- appropriate for the season. Appropriate? What am I talking about? Appropriate for the season. Uh, it is their pumpkin hunter ale brewed with pumpkin and spices. And it has uh, a headless horseman and a scary bear and a weird turkey. The, the, those are the things that are on the label. So it is one of my favorite uh, pumpkin I was hoping beers. you were going to say that's what's in it. No, no. Pumpkin no, and spices good. and a headless horseman and a scary bear and a weird turkey all brewed yep. inside yep. it. I mean, I can't explicitly say that they're not brewed in it, but... I don't think they are because I don't taste a weird turkey in my mouth. Great, I'm pretty. I'm pretty. I'm sure just gonna let that sentence hang. <laughs> title for this episode. There were several candidates in there. Uh, I look forward to seeing what you choose, Ben. Yeah. Uh, Patrick Mullins, man. Four second half goals to run the Quakes out of RFK in a. He's game. a scary bear. He. Are you sure he's not a weird turkey? <laughs> I think he's more a scary bear. I think scary bear is is probably better. Um, this is a game DC United somehow could have won by more, despite winning four to nothing, uh, holding the Quakes to one shot on goal. Um, and and Mullins is obviously the the first talking point we have to hit. It's been a long time coming. These were goals number one, two, three, and four on the season <laughs> for Patrick Mullins. Uh, his second career hat trick, both of them with DC United, both of them in the last year or so. Um, and he's he's been getting chances. He's been involved uh, since coming back from injury uh, later, late this summer. But he, he hasn't been able to, you know, really hit the broadside of a barn. Or when he does, he puts it right in a spot where the keeper can get to. to on, on Saturday night, he wasn't doing that. He was getting on strikers' chances, making strikers' runs, um, on on the first three goals and then you know hitting a wonderful free kick on the on the fourth this was uh this was the performance we've been waiting for for a while yeah uh, and and i think it's you know we've been saying we i found myself saying it so often that i i was starting to just avoid trying to say it but i kept saying and you guys kept saying too it's not like this was my i'm the only person that thought of this by any stretch um but he really just needed the one um he needed to break through somehow and I had kind of cut bait on the idea that it was going to be he was going to score uh, a a typical striker's goal and was going to be more of a like the ball deflects off of him and he can claim the goal or um you know off of a, a scramble he happens to like scuff one over the line as he's falling you know one of these sort of trash goals um but instead he got through on a traditional number nine kind of goal like he he ghosted away from his man. He got, he beat him, uh, I think it was, uh, Affolter was marking him. He beat him to the ball that Ariola put into the spot that Mullins needed it. Um, but Mullins did everything right on that play to get the ball to go in. Um, 
And it's, I mean, he needed one of any kind, but for it to be a goal where he actually was doing all the the good stuff that a good striker does and getting the reward for it finally. Um, I mean, you don't score four, like you, you, the dam breaks and you don't necessarily score four goals in uh, 31 minutes. That doesn't happen a lot or in MLS ever before. Um, cause that was an unprecedented, uh, uh, amount of time to score four goals in one game. Um, but, uh, it does, it, it probably means more than, than we could put into words to him because, you know, this whole season has been a nightmare for, for Mullins and, um, I'm sure it was eating him up. And the fact that he got through the way he got through really changed things in, in his head. And it, it probably made him feel like, the world is back to normal, you know, for a forward who's used to scoring goals. And I mean, Mullins has been scoring goals in high level competitive soccer for like six straight years, um, going back in his college days, um, for it to all of a sudden dry up, it has to almost feel like gravity doesn't work anymore or the sun stopped rising. Um, it just, your whole world has got to be like, what is going on? I can't do this. This doesn't work anymore. What's happening? Um, yeah, he said in the post-game press conference that this was the first year mm-hmm. he's really had to deal with injuries. And so it seems like between the injuries and just trying to, you know, get his fitness back and then work himself back into form for the first time in his career, uh, it was a real learning experience for him. And hopefully he's now yep. fully through to the well, other side and he can keep scoring goals and I mean, then come out like next season he's hot. not... Uh back to normal, uh, more or less, then he's not taking the free kick to score the fourth goal. Um, that's, it, it was really like watching yeah. him go from like bottom of the bottom of the barrel in terms of confidence to the absolute ceiling of confidence, um, in a tiny amount of time. Um, so yeah, like the classic, it was a comedy yeah, movie montage uh, and, and that classic idea of a striker just needs one goal, uh, actually kind of uh, a striker in a slump, I should say, just needs the one goal. It kind of held up. Um, you know, he got one. He gets a second one almost immediately. Uh, I believe, I, I'm not 100% sure, but I believe he did the left foot, right foot header um, hat trick as well. Um, yes, before, he did for his uh, first three. Going back to his preferred left foot on the free kick. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's the kind of game that can, I mean, change the trajectory of his career because if he finished this season goalless, uh, that's a gigantic red flag um and we've been talking about it for months now we've been saying you know someone has to step up and prove they're going to be one of the forwards on this roster and now we have mullins making a clear uh, and unambiguous statement that uh you know we shouldn't worry so much about him anymore so that's it's a big weight off his shoulders i'm sure it's a big weight off the team's shoulders as well um and it was also just you know it's fun to see a guy on your team score four goals Meanwhile, Deshaun Brown, uh, his option looking, not that it was likely at all at this point to be exercised next year, uh, that option is is pretty dead at this point. Who? Yeah, I, you know, he's a guy. If he if he, I mean, he the option's not going to be exercised, but the team could negotiate with him and sign him at a lower number. I think that's a waste. It, it might be because the the wings are pretty well filled at this point, but depending on, you know, what other moves they make this off season, having Deshaun Brown as a, a wide forward or a, a winger in this, this team might not be 
awful, especially if he's no. at a lower number. He's probably not back next year um, because he's probably going to want a higher number, I, whether that's... I feel like then. I feel like they need to make so many more advancements in the center forward position and they've got enough depth on the wings that he's just a square peg with only round holes to fill. And if this were a different team with different needs, then maybe he does find his way onto the team next year in the 200 to 250 range. But even at that price, I feel like they need to find somebody who is a center forward or maybe two somebodies who are center forwards and they don't need a wing, another winger at that level. So I think it's not a talent issue. It's just a fit issue. And I don't see him fitting yeah, enough my, to come back my next year. take is more based on, I still, I still want to see him play as a winger and see what he can do in that position because he was good at it before. That was a couple seasons ago. We know things change in MLS and it's a, you know, this is a different team from the Rapids as well. Um, so I, I need, for me to be satisfied one way or the other, I need to have that data in there as well. Like, I need to see what he can do in that spot because, you know, as much as it's tempting to say we have depth on the wings, you know, Patrick Nyako's career, I, I don't know what's happening there. It seems less than likely to carry on to next year's, given that he's been out for so long at this point. Um, I mean, I... Right, and, and I, I, mean, I hope done that for the year. his issues go away completely and he can make the choice to stay based purely on does he want to keep playing soccer here and not, well, I don't really have a hand in this. I have to choose to end my career. I don't want that to happen to him. Um, so, you know, if, if he's not going to be around, though, you, you all of a sudden you have, you know, Ariola and Stieber, yeah, they're the starters, clearly. Um, but Lloyd Sam is going to be 33 and Bruno Miranda is only going to be 20 and... His he's all his position is also a question mark to me. Is he better as an out and out striker or is he more of a mm-hmm. wide forward? Um, we don't know enough because we haven't really seen him play as a striker. It's the opposite uh, lack of data with him as it is with Brown. Um, but I mean, you know, if they come to Brown with an offer of like half of of the salary he's on the the hook or the team's on the hook for um, for next year. And he says, no, thanks. Then, you know, so be it. It's not the end of the world. Um, but I would be at least I would at least want them to make the offer because I I feel like um, having some some speed, someone that likes to run those channels, um, it would be a nice change up from, uh, you know, Ariel is more of a provider uh, than a goal scorer. Stieber doesn't really have that kind of speed. Um, Sam doesn't have that kind of speed, not even close at this point. Um, so yeah, having that extra element, I think would be nice, but at the same time, I'm certainly not going to pull my hair out if they end up not being able to come to a deal and they've got to look somewhere else for that option. Yeah. Like some other guys too, uh, including Lloyd, Sam, including going back a little bit, Alvaro Saborio Brown has looked better as a sub than this year than he, than he has starting games. He, when a game is already established and he can come in and be the change of pace, he's looked more effective. I think in, in those minutes. And I, you know, if that's his, if he can make that role his own, then cool. Great. Um, and if not, then that's okay too. It's not, nah. he's not going to make or break this off season in, in any event. I'm getting off topic though, because there's, there's some more good stuff to talk about from this game uh, as compared to a guy who didn't play. Um, Paul Ariola got his first two assists in black and red assisting on Mullins, first two goals. Um, 
that was good enough to get him a spot alongside Mullins in the MLS team of the week. Um, and a, a name not on that list might have actually been the best player on the field. And that's saying something when a guy scores four goals. Russell Knauss yeah, um, had himself I, I mean, a game, the Jason. The eye test, uh, I mean, the, the, basic, the basic eye test here is like the Quakes basically couldn't get anything going from that part of the field. Um, which, and whenever you see a team held to one shot on goal in a game where they were trailing for 33 minutes, um, and they're pushing for a playoff spot because San Jose, believe it, you know, if you, if you haven't been following the Western Conference, you might have seen the Quakes and be like, oh, they must suck. They're in a playoff spot, or they were coming into the night anyway. Um, and yet United basically managed to completely suffocate them. Um, and they, they couldn't find any real joy. Um, if you look at where their key passes came from, none of them come from where the, the area of the field that Canales would be patrolling. Um, so that kind of tells you that defensively, uh, he did the work. And then if you actually pull up the stats, uh, it's kind of ridiculous. He had seven interceptions. He had 11 recoveries. He blocked three shots. Um, he also completed just, just short of 90% of his passes. He only committed a foul or one foul the entire game, so he didn't even have to um, break them up by committing a bunch of fouls. He he had one foul for ninety minutes in as a defensive midfielder, um, which is not not too shabby. Um, he managed to have time to hit the post. Um, he opened up the field with his passing. It wasn't just sideways stuff keeping the ball moving. He was actually uh, opening the field up for United. And uh, after the game, one of the quotes from Chris Leach, um, the Quakes coach, was that the real problem that he felt they had was that they got opened up and they got stretched out too much. And some of that uh, is down to Canals' choices on the ball and not necessarily making the easiest pass, but, um, you know, moving the ball a little further, you know, whether it's finding a fullback out on the wing rather than finding Marcelo five yards from him. Um, maybe it's a pass that actually breaks a line rather than looking for that sideways pass. Um, but those, the, what he can do with the ball really changes what DC United can do as a team. And, uh, I mean, we've been saying it since he arrived, um, that he really does, uh, kind of tie the room together, um, like, uh, uh, the dude's rug. Um, but yeah, I mean, <laughs> well, the, the dude's rug ended let's, up, let's hope uh, he has a better fate it just than went the dude's back rug. to Maud, um, because it was her, she stole it and then that was it. Um, oh, that's a, yeah, that's a different rug. Well, I mean, um, at the beginning of the just, movie, he just wanted a rug in the end. Um, as much as anything. Um, but let's not go too far into that. Um, that's, there are podcasts that are doing the like minute by minute, uh, breakdown of that, but that's not us. Um, yeah, I, I, Knaus was, I think, spectacular. I think he absolutely should be part of that team of the week group. Um, ahead of Ariola, possibly ahead of Mullins, uh, ahead of a few guys that have got the nod. I, you can't, you can't be I mean, ahead of a guy who scores four goals. I, I know, I, I know, I know the reasons, but on a team of the week, I'm, just, I'm, I'll, I'll it, say it, that his his possible. his uh, level of uh, being worthy of that is up where up with anybody that's on there, um, and uh, you know it's one of those things that maybe that's the defensive midfielder's curse. You get, you know, you don't get acknowledged that if you look at the team of the week. Yeah. Yes. Right, and that's uh, why there were there are no two number tens and, that's why there and no three wingers in the midfield, exactly. um, and that's life as a defensive midfielder. No, you're never looking. It's, it's never going to be a. a I mean, the team of the week is never going to be a there real. Voters will vote team. that way, but when the votes stack up in the end, you just get stuck with like, well, 
I can't put nine forwards on the field. Um, but yeah, you know, he was, he lived up to all of our expectations and more. And I think he's, he's been consistently very good. This might've been his best game. Um, but, uh, yeah, I was, I feel like you can't be anything other than delighted with how he's been so far. Yeah. And hopefully they, this means that they can focus their not, signing dollars not, not on Gary Medell and Nigel the forward Leo. line in the off season. <laughs> Don't even speak of that latter person. <laughs> well, that seems like a good note to uh, turn to the negatives from from this game, which none of them were were from minute one to to minute ninety. Uh, they they all have to do with that hour before kickoff when the lineup comes out. I know um, none of us were thrilled when we saw the lineup that had no Ian Harks and no Jalen Robinson. Those are the guys we really wanted to see with this, you know, otherwise the rest of this unit on the field. And um, we got to see Ian Harks a little bit late, actually fill in that number 10 role, and um, which was interesting to see, even if it was just for like five minutes. But he did win the foul that led to Patrick Mullen's fourth goal on the free kick. But he didn't start, and Robinson didn't play at all. Granted, you know, we still got the party without without Jalen in there, which is the first time that's happened in a little while. But I still, even with the win, I wanted to see the the more experimental, the younger lineup out there. I didn't want to see Marcelo Sarvas. I, I didn't necessarily want to see Chris Korb out there either. Nope. So my theory is, uh, I, I this may be tinfoil hat, like, experimental theories, but I'm going with it anyways. My theory is that Ben Olsen and company knew that this was the second to last game at RFK and wanted to give the best chance of a good performance for the crowd, regardless of the fact that the season itself is over. They wanted to give the the fans a great experience given that it is the second to last game at RFK and on the road there for the rest of the season, they're going to do the prepping for 2018 stuff. But in these last two games at RFK, they're going to go with the team that has the best chance to win that specific game, just to entertain the crowd and to help the crowd have a good send off for RFK. And I don't know if that's true, but that's what I hope because there's nothing else that can justify what happened. So I'm hoping that they just wanted to give the crowd a great time to help send off RFK. And that's why they put in a 30 year old, uh, left I mean, back, a, a yeah, 35 year old central solid. midfielder. Especially, it's, uh, I was just going to say, like, if you, if you read any of the quotes theory. that came yeah, out I mean, after it, the game or watched the post game show, um, both Olsen and Mullins, and I want to say one other player, all noted, um, and, you know, it, it was very clear that there was a big emphasis within the team to uh, reward the fans um, and put on a good show with the big crowd. So um, that definitely is, uh, I mean, it's it's all circumstantial, but it's, it's solid circumstantial evidence pointing to what Ben's saying being, uh, you know, a major part of the thought process. Um because otherwise, there really isn't, like Ben said, there really isn't a good reason to not play these younger players. Um, I, I mean, with all due respect to Marcelo's last few games have been his best games of the season. Um, 
his his starts during the the three game winning streak and then this one have been pretty much his yeah, best work since early 2016. Um, so that's that's been you know that's great that he's setting that level of standard and you know still fighting for you know it, we're in that point in the season where players are fighting f- to stick around for next year and if he's willing to dig in and fight that hard um and up his level of play to to stick around that's uh, a tribute to him um but at the same time it is time to it's still time to learn about these other guys um and with these road games coming up i and, and not just the road games but also just the sheer nature of it's two games in a week uh, or two more games this week i should say um we're almost certainly going to find out more about these younger players because they're going to have to play some minutes. Yeah. There's going to be some, some squad rotation. I don't expect Marcelo to get the start in New Jersey, for instance, it'll be interesting to see how the squad rotates. Um, One argument against the best, you know, putting on the best show for, for the crowd might've been uh, who got the starting goalkeeper for United. It was Steve Clark getting his first start for the black and red, not Bill Hamid, the, you know, talisman who's been there um, and deservedly so has been there. Um, There was some drama around that. Uh, Steve Goff started hinting early in the week that Steve Clark was in line for some minutes at some point during these final five games. And so seeing his name on the team sheet, wasn't that big of a surprise for people who were paying attention, but uh, Ivis Galarsip, reported and he's the only person i saw actually uh report this i didn't see it confirmed independently anywhere and if i missed it i i apologize <laughs> but uh eintracht frankfurt um and i just combined german and english pronunciation you're welcome uh apparently they had a scout or possibly their sporting director they had somebody it, in the not crowd. their sporting director but it, I, I looked into this and it, he, the, the guy that, that was supposedly came over is a member of their board, but he's not the sporting director. The sporting director is somebody different. Okay. So they had somebody from their organization come over, uh, reportedly to see Bill Hamid. Um, Hamid said that, that Olsen gave him 48 hours heads up that he was not going to be starting this one because if he doesn't resign and his contract negotiations have apparently stalled, with the team. Steve Goff said that he's gone back on an agreement to sign a couple of times now. Um, and you can tell he's conflicted because he, Hamid obviously loves this team. Um, he grew up with it. He's been its best player for a while now. Um, but he also wants to test himself in Europe. He said himself that he never thought he would still be playing stateside at this point in his career when he was getting started. He had higher ambitions, and that's fine. And if he wants to go to Europe, I wish him the best. If he sticks around here, I'll be even happier. But there's some drama out there, people coming to the conclusion that since there was a scout or somebody from Frankfurt in the the stands, and yes, I just changed the pronunciation of the city, you're welcome again. And because of that and Hamid sitting, therefore, DC United sat him to punish him for the contract negotiation no. stalling. And that's just a couple of bridges too far for me to jump. It it doesn't yes. make any sense. And I know Steve Goff is uh, hit back at people who, who have suggested that as well. It just, if you know this organization at all, they, they don't do that. They're not the new England revolution. They're not going to exactly. hold a player over a barrel because they can, they, they tend to do right by their players, at least when it comes to moving to Europe. Yes. This, this is what this team does. 
and has done for a while. Uh, they did it with Andy Nahar. They let him uh, train with uh, w- with Anderlecht and before his transfer. Uh, they didn't do anything to subterf- to sabotage Perry Kitchen's desires and moves. Uh, they have often been willing to trade players or let them go for uh, personal reasons, even if it was at the slight detriment to the team. It's just, it, it's not what they do. So obviously this is a murky situation. And obviously this is a situation where both sides are negotiating through the press. But I think DC United has gotten such a bad reputation for partially because of their own doing, but mostly just because of communication issues and not actual decisions that, but their reputation, everyone, everyone their reputation in other contexts, the representation, their their reputation in other contexts, hasn't isn't based at all on the way they've treated their players. Like right. the one, I mean, they haven't always been perfect to their players. I know they traded Fabiana Spindola, and that at least came as somewhat of a surprise to him. But he uh, allegedly punched a teammate in the locker room and wasn't playing well that year, and trades are a thing that happen in this league and he's not the first person to be traded from an MLS team that, you know, yeah, and, and wasn't in love with the idea I mean, of it. And he immediately so, parlayed that into is, a transfer um, to a team know, in Mexico where he played as more as and said, had more success. Know, negotiating through the so press is kind of what's going on. Even that worked out um, for him. But I'd also add that DC United as an organization has not been the type to like they can't make Taylor Twelman a guy on a player unless they right. see him in person then there's probably something wrong with their ability to evaluate talent. Um, now there is, there are, you know, some benefits to seeing what a goalkeeper does because, you know, there, there are times where, you know, a ball looks like it's going to get through and the goalkeeper might make a mistake and the defenders bail him out before it even gets on camera. Um, that kind of thing. But by and large, if you watch enough games, if you watch enough tape of a player and Bill Hamid's a goalkeeper, he starts in a league that is covered with cameras um, if you watch enough tape, you'll be able to piece it together. Um, so if it's, if it really is down to like, we need to hide Bill Hamid so that this team can't watch him play one, they wouldn't have included him in the 18. I feel like, um, you know, if you're trying to hide someone, then you don't put him in a position where he might end up in the game. Um, but you know, the, the other thing is, um, you know, there could be something there, or it could be, um, you know, one side is trying to push the other uh, a little mm-hmm. harder at this point. I, we we can't we can't possibly know. Um, and yeah. you know, You've got there was a little bit, in my opinion, in there was a little bit of a slant in some of the reporting involved that, that was more speculative than it was uh, informational, right? Um, which is, I mean, every every everyone that's talking about soccer in this country is going to do that from time to time. Our, our sites on transfer, our stories on transfer rumors involve that level of like, well, if this were to happen, then you know, then some speculation. Um, but you just, it, it's important to be. I aware mean, it's in window. It's not even speculation. It's in window. A lot of it. Yeah. I mean, it's not so much to sure, me. Sure, but at least, least when, so when we that, report, when we report, uh, one side or the other needs to when we be, report these things. We at least uh, you know change their their reporting. Is, but when fans think about this, they just need to keep in mind that of the, um, uh, some of this on like on both sides on was speculative. You're hearing the possibility half, of both sides. Pretty much hearing half of what's out there. Um, 
and those are motivated halves. Those are not just like, like we're going to put our cards on the table. That's not what you're getting. You're getting like, I'm going to let you know one card and that's it. It's only so that I can, you know, get you thinking something else that, you know, there's a lot of other stuff happening that we're not going to find out about until after the fact, if ever. Um, personally, I, I, you know, I still rate the chances uh, of him sticking around as much more on how much the offer is. Um, you know, the fact that United went out and actually spent some money on big time players, uh, it changes, that changes the equation when you're in Hamid's shoes. Um, just like last year, uh, it changed the equation, uh, with Lucho, you know, the, the trades that brought Sam and Mullins in, um, you know, if Lucho was like, well, I don't know about sticking around here. This is kind of unpleasant. Um, and then you add some attacking players that benefit his style of play. And it's like, well, maybe this isn't so bad now. Um, and that could be, I'm again, we're speculating, but that could be something that, that tilts it, uh, in, you know, Hamid's mind. Maybe he's like, well, maybe there is something to be done here. Um, that, you know, more than just backstop a team that needs me to be at my A plus best for them to win games. Um, was that, was that a quote or was that speculation? Because I don't remember that quote. I don't remember a quote from him. Okay, well, if there was a quote from him, that's that's much better. I don't than... think we have to speculate about that particular aspect. I think he said as much in the press. He's like, listen, that does change the way you think about um, things. He, I think he admitted to that to a reporter. So I, I thought I saw a quote. I th- yeah, I might have been reading into speculation, a quote, reading a quote into speculation. But I thought I saw a quote on that. Anyway, um, a lot of the speculation and innuendo about the the reasoning behind benching him there, I think, is is just that is speculation and innuendo. And I don't think you can um, you can assume that Ben Olsen's motives were were somehow um, fraught on that one that that did bother me seeing seeing some of those takes being so heavy handed. Um, as Ben said, there was no nuance, no explanation of the background in them. Uh, one last thing I want to throw out there, and this is this might be a little bit hot. Um, it, it's going to be mildly lukewarm, I promise. Uh, we saw the team continue to improve its passing game in in this one. They passed over 80% as a team. Uh, a lot of that came from midfield. Knaus had an exceedingly accurate game, and... I think all the passes he missed were ambitious, long ones. So you can't really fault him for that, especially since he connected on quite a few. I noticed Chris Korb on the left side of the defense. He got forward a lot and combined really well. Um, and and when pressure came, he, he played through it pretty calmly. He didn't generally just boot the ball long. Nick DeLeon, when he plays on the left side of defense, same thing. He's Nick DeLeon. He, he tends to pass really accurately and not be flustered under pressure now i love taylor kemp but calm when pressured on the ball is not a way i would describe him he he can be great with his left foot from a free kick he can send in some really good crosses when he gets forward and his defense has improved immeasurably since he arrived but if this is a possession based team that's going to leverage those fullbacks in possession how good of a I would fit say, is he I would I would pull that? myself out of that week because I don't I don't agree with it. I mean, I feel like we've said for a while now that 
I mean, and by a while, I like I, for like four or I five years, no difference we've said that Chris Corb's best position, even though he's right footed, is on the left side. Of he defense. plays on the right or left. And it's the same. But. People keep. I feel like we're the only ones waving that flag. Okay, well then you're wrong. Uh, then I'll just say that I think that, and between the two, what I, yeah, I feel like where the hot take comes in. Oh, I, I disagree with that. I think he's. I think he is. Uh, noticeably better on the left than he is on the right. And that doesn't mean he should start over Taylor Kemp necessarily, but I think he's just better on the right, on the left than he is on the right. The, the heat uh, but from I, this, the heat I, from I, my, I, my proposition here, the hot take yeah. is, is Taylor I mean, Kemp going so, to be... Ben, let me get to the heat. Let me put the heat out there, Ben. I thought you already did. No. I thought you already did. No, I was setting up the heat. Okay. I don't know. The heat is, I, I think Taylor I, I Kemp could be on the trading block this winter. Necessarily on. Uh, I, feel like I think he's trade bait. Any real danger? I feel of like they're the also team. mad that I, um, I would welcome a I, I, tam. Not a tam. For I one, I, I haven't been that pleased decent, with Nick Daly on it left. Back, I would welcome a two hundred fifty thousand dollar signing um, over both. His of awareness of of back post runners needs to improve. Um, he's been better on the right than on the left. I think substantially. Um, um, but but it, no, yeah, I don't. I, I mean, when you have a left-footed yeah. left yep. back, um. That, I mean, yes, he's got. He hasn't really had a good season in terms of his crossing, which was one of the big assets. I, I, like, of, I, I would rather uh, have Kemp's game, Kemp or um, that Corb has to get better. I mean, a lot of guys this season just didn't the have before, that good of a season. Uh, it all Nick kind Dale, of happened yeah. at once. Um, we also know what he's capable of when he's closer to his best. Um, no player is untouchable, and if some team comes in and is like, "We've got to have Taylor Kemp," then yeah, he'll probably get traded. If a team comes in that they're that desperate to make a move um but as far as him actually being trade bait i don't i wouldn't say that um especially given that um i mean a little bit but i mean he hasn't had too many injuries in his career i don't think that people are going to be too cautious about that um but i i would say that one of my concerns would be like one it, it's hard to, i guess it's two concerns really um, one, it's just, it's hard to find a, tr- a true left back. I mean, the injury there. really have one, throws some gum into those works, Rather than I'll go find, try and find another one. Um, the other issue that I have is, if I'm not convinced with Nick DeLeon, I think Corb is a, a role player. You don't want to end up having to start him. Um, so what do you do? If you do want to move Kemp on, there's got to be another player in the wings before you're willing to make that move. In my opinion, you've got to be, um, this isn't a position I think where you roll the dice and say like, we'll make this move and then we'll figure it out. Um, I think with left backs being so hard to come by in MLS, you kind of have to go into it knowing what your outcome is before you start looking to make that trade or, or consider that trade. That's a good point. I will also give Taylor Kemp credit. He's improved. He's dramatically improved some aspect of his game basically every offseason since he joined the team. And I think if if he has to improve his passing to fit into a starting lineup playing a particular style, I think he has the capacity to do that. Even if he's not, you know, he's not some 20-year-old who still has nothing but improvement ahead of his on his growth curve, but I think we we've seen how much he's improved his defense. Um we even saw Bobby Boswell improve his passing and possession. So I think we could see Taylor Kemp. I just, I wanted to bring up that particular aspect of, of the change style that the team is playing with these, with the new acquisitions. 
And okay. yeah. So that was my not very hot take. And, you know, that's not the best way to end a segment, but it is a way to end a segment. And it's how we're going to end this segment. So we will be right back to preview DC United's visit to New Jersey. Dun, dun, dun. Stick around. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. Hey, Ben, um, you wouldn't say this is a hostile work environment, would you? You can tell uh, me. Depends. I mean, well, I should ask you. I mean, is are goats hostile? Uh, I think goats are, are hostile. I think that they are secretly trying to take over the world. But But if this were a hostile work environment or if I were trying to steal your wages or, or do something else oh, nefarious in a, I'm really not. Uh, but in a workplace environment, you know who to call, right? Because you live in the district of Columbia or Northern Virginia. I, I do. It's the Ehrlich law office. It is the Ehrlich law office. Uh, they, they offer discrimination, wage and litigation solutions in Northern Virginia and the district of Columbia, which means I can totally create a hostile work environment for Jason, except no, he, they, they wouldn't want me to say that. That would be bad. I do not want to create a hostile work environment for anyone, but Jason couldn't call them nonetheless because he lives in Maryland. Sorry, Jason. I'll fight my way through this. All right. Uh, they handle workplace discrimination, wage theft, uh, non-compete clauses, and uh, non-solicitation litigation. They handle civil rights and government takings and disability and education law. They handle a lot of things. And if you are interested in a free consultation, head to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. Welcome back to Filibuster. The New York Red Bulls are currently in sixth place in the Eastern Conference, three points above the not-so-red line that we talked about last week. I'm not going to repeat that. Battlestar Galactica. Sure, Ben. Uh, that said, they are they are winless in their last six, and since we last checked in on the Metros, they've had a they've dealt with some unseasonal summer. Metro playoff failure, losing in the U.S. Open Cup final to Sporting Kansas City out in Kansas City. DC United visit them for the second and final time this year. Of course, the final game of the season is at RFK Stadium against the Red Bulls. But DC United visit Red Bull Arena for the last time this year, Wednesday night, 7.30. Watch it on News Channel 8 if you uh, are unable to get up to New Jersey on a weeknight because MLS for some reason loves making this game really hard for people with jobs to travel to. And it's, it's annoying. We're not going to talk more about that. Instead, I want to know what's going up, what's going on with Jersey. Um, before this six game winless streak, they had won seven of 10. So this is a pretty hard turn that they went through, you know, a month or two ago. Yeah. Uh, and you know, that first, that first stretch of good form, they had changed formations uh, to this three 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 one, but it has stopped. It's kind of stopped working. The goals have dried up. Uh, they're not being shut out a lot, but they're not necessarily able to get themselves on the board as often as they used to be. And at the other end, they're no longer. You know, it, this used to be a team that was pretty good at one nothing and two nothing, and now all of a sudden they're on a run where I think they've got one shutout in their last six games, and even that was a zero zero draw with the Philadelphia union. So that's no, no prize. Um, it was a home draw as well for the Red Bulls. Um, so yeah, I mean, teams have started to figure it out a little bit. Um, 
the the game tape is there and and teams have sort of solved um what what this formation change is about i think it it also it hasn't helped them that uh daniel royer has been hurt but we actually um there was a tweet out while we were doing our first segment that said that uh he is fit and will be in the squad on Wednesday, so who knows if he's actually able to play as a starter. Um, but it makes a big difference. Um, he definitely adds something to their attack that isn't there. Otherwise, they don't really have a replacement for him. Um, but yeah, overall, it's just that, that they've been found out a little bit, and the defending hasn't been very good. If you watch the Open Cup final, um, you might have noticed that before Kansas City had any goals, they also had two glorious opportunities that just came from... Um, if you're going to play a back three, there shouldn't be like huge gaps between your right center back and your center back or your center back and your left center back. And they were leaving big old gaps that Kansas City was able to play through very easily. Um, and a combination of them leaving those gaps and also an inability to get pressure on the ball so that those gaps don't get exposed um, in, in, in the middle third, that's really kind of been a problem for them. And all of a sudden they can't do the thing they like to do, which is to get on, you know, put their boot on your throat early and just never let up until eventually it turns into a goal. They haven't been able to do that, and it seems like their whole, you know, their whole way of being kind of uh, hinges on it. Yeah, and those gaps uh, were were there, are there for crosses too, which is weird. That's what you'd think a three-man backline in the, the modern version of it with it, where it's three center backs, especially with the Red Bulls starting three center backs i think all of whom are over six foot um they opened up they had enough space in there on a cross that gerso a, a little guy for sporting kansas city headed the ball in for the it first was a goal blessing latif blessing oh blessing um, latif blessing yeah, even small you know, the, the problem there was just um at the back post fidel escobar just did not like uh, he watched a run come across his front he it was it wasn't a run off of his shoulder it was a run that came across his field of vision and he just did not track the runner he just stood there and was like i guess i'm fine um and then the ball fell into the space that blessing was attacking because he was actually trying to go for the ball i'm not sure what uh escobar or i'm sorry um mario escobar was on the other side um michael mario both of those guys by the way are starters for panama so these aren't like no-name bums. These guys are... The U.S. is going to play them in qualifying pretty soon. Um, so these guys are not nothing, but they... I don't... It just seemed like their minds were turned off uh, in this game. They just weren't tuned in to where they needed to be, and maybe there's a communication issue. Um, this was the Red Bulls with Ryan Mira in goal instead of Luis Robles. Maybe they lost something in that that exchange beyond shot-stopping ability. Um Maybe Aaron Long is not quite ready to uh, marshal a defense full time. Um, I think ha- that last explanation makes more sense because they've had some of these issues with Robles and goal too. Right, and and you know another thing that they've had a problem with for a while is that Aurelian Collin has been hurt, and there was a stretch last year where their record with Collin in the lineup versus without was basically like if Collins on the field, this is a shield contender. If he's not on the field, they wouldn't make the playoffs. Um, and maybe that's kind of creeping back in where without him, uh, being able to kind of use his athleticism and aerial ability to cover so many problems, maybe they just can't figure it out, uh, without that, uh, that element in there. Um, I know that, you know, some of the, some of their fans were pretty upset with one of the subs in the open cup game with, um, Kamara Lawrence being pulled off, I think around the 62nd minute for tiredness was the report from the sidelines. Um, People were not happy about that. Um, yeah, it's been 
they've been sort of odd to watch lately. Um, they've got some good qualities, but they can't put it all together at the same time. So the, a couple weeks ago, when we previewed the Chicago Fire, we talked about how important Dax McCarty had been to their season and their turnaround as an organization. And it seems the same holds true in exactly the opposite direction for the Red Bulls. Yeah, they're still in playoff contention right now. And if the season ended today, they'd be in. They'd be going on the road, um, I think, actually, to play the Chicago Fire of all teams. But they are not the team that they've been for the past few years. And there seems to still be a Dax McCarty-shaped hole in that midfield. And that's why they had to change formations. If, yep. if McCarty's still on that team, they're they're still playing that 4-2-3-1 and suffocating you. I, yeah, probably. Um, I, you know, I, I, it's kind of a, a that 4-2-3-1 is kind of a handy way of looking at their formation because we're not teams in MLS don't play 3-3-3-1. It doesn't happen. Um, the closest thing to it happened in the year 2000 uh, with the Kansas City Wizards and that wasn't even exactly the same thing. It was just close. Um but part, I, I think it's kind of helpful to think of this as um, a way to fix their problems by uh, sort of mimicking something we've seen from the Columbus crew where they're very famous for, or at least, you know, in Greg Berhalter's first couple of years, not so much this season, um, but having Will Trap in possession drop deep and be between the two center backs and the two fullbacks push up as uh, wing backs or even midfielders when they're in possession. Um, Rafa Marquez did this for the Red Bulls too yeah, um a little but, bit when but, he was there when he would play mid- but he pushed back into the midfield they still stuck with that they were still playing 4231 um, right. whereas now if you think of Aaron Long as the 6 dropping in and he just never ends up getting out of there he drops in and he stays um if he's almost the base of their midfield rather than a center back in terms of how they want to line up in in terms of shape and what that does is it allows Felipe to be the link between the number six and Sasha question, which is what he was best at with McCarty there. Um, Long doesn't have McCarty's mobility. So maybe this was the workaround was that um, rather than making him have to do that extra running to be both midfielder and dropping between the center backs, they said, well, just, you'll just play as a full-time center back. Um, And Felipe will have to drop a little bit, but he can still do the linking it, but it hasn't worked as well. Obviously we're talking about how it hasn't worked as well. Um, and the other thing is, you know, instead of having those uh, wingers out wide cutting in, they're actually already starting inside, um, which is why you have Tyler Adams and Sean Davis, who are both more number eights than anything else, playing nominally right and left midfield um, in that that third line of three. Um, but they play very close to Sasha Kleschen, and their job is, number one, is to high press and win the ball more than it is to beat guys on the dribble and create that way. Um but, you know, ultimately, it, I think it's – the whole thing, the whole rebuild to, to get around the McCarty problem has left question with less room. Um, he's been less effective overall. Uh, Wright Phillips seems isolated at times. They don't really get very good wide play. They don't really – they're not able to stretch teams out very much because their wing backs aren't necessarily – at least yet, they haven't been very effective in those roles. Um, so, yeah, it, it's – you know, it's a kind of situation where they had a big, big problem, and their fix to it has exposed a lot of smaller problems. Um, and the result is that they haven't really been very consistent. Um, 
they've been tinkering with getting Gonzalo Verón into games, which is he's actually been he's been more effective. But again, as we saw um, in previous instances where they did something that made Verón more effective, the team was worse off. Um, so it, it seems like maybe there's just an ill-fitting roster right now. Like that's it's a group that doesn't quite fit the 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 dogma that Jesse Marshall wants to follow. So therefore, they've got a sort of it's not quite square peg and round hole, but it's definitely not a smooth fit either. So given uh, Marsh's flirtation with the four two 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 and turning to this new three 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 one, is it possible he just likes repeating numbers? Maybe he's uh got a little bit of um if if for the it's always sunny in Philadelphia fans out there, Charlie Kelly's mom doing everything in threes so that Charlie doesn't die. Um Maybe that's that's in Jesse Marsh's head. I don't know, um, but uh, yeah, it's. You know, I, I'll give Jesse Marsh this. I've been critical for of him for a while, uh, for basically only being able to succeed when he plays the uh, the Red Bull Soccer Manuals uh, tactics down to a T, and that's not really independent. It's not really independent thought, in my opinion. Um, I think this change had to, they had to do something. And it has definitely forestalled a complete fall off the cliff because before they had that um, six wins in seven or, or, yeah, six wins in seven or eight, um, they were in pretty middling form. Uh, they, I think they had as many wins as losses. They were just kind of a run-of-the-mill MLS team. There was nothing really um, – they were not really a team that – they were a team that was going to finish like sixth or seventh in the East. Um And they had to do something, and they came up with a solution that is unique and, and creative – and it did work for a little while. Um, it, but it it's worked kind of until it off. stopped working, and now they're a team that's on track to finish sixth or seventh in the East. Right. Um, so you know they they at least managed to stave off you know big problems. But you know I look at their team and I still I still wonder a little bit about you know tactically they're vulnerable, and I also think now that they've become a little tactically vulnerable, I think there's some mental vulnerability creeping in. I don't I don't think this is the the same Red Bulls team that was very confident in themselves that we've seen in the past. Right. And we've seen Dax McCarty take, like bring that to a team. And I, I wonder whether that's another place where his absence is being felt like you, you listen to quotes out of the Chicago locker room and they sound completely different to what they used to. And mm-hmm. he's not the only new acquisition there, but he said coming in, it's like, yeah, this is, this is a, a culture change job. That is the very first thing we have to do is I have to be a leader in the locker room and change the way people think in this room. And I wonder if, I mean, he learned something with his failed stint as captain in, in here in DC, and you could see his growth as, as a player and as a, a leader in, you know, when he was with the Red Bulls. Now he's taken that growth to, to the fire. And I wonder whether there's a Dax McCarty shaped hole, not just on the field, but also mentally for, for the Red Bulls. Uh, I want to talk about that press though. You, you, you mentioned that, that Tyler Adams and um, Davis, Alex Mui, sorry. Yeah. Sean Davis are, are out there to press essentially as false wingers who are really number eights. How does that work with the, the three back that they're playing because Felipe. Yeah. Felipe is really the only holding midfielder that takes up holding midfielder positions in the defensive phase of the game. And 
with the four two three one, they always had him and McCarty able to cover for each other, and that was a that was a conversion for mm-hmm. Felipe because he had played more attacking when he was in Montreal. He he still kicked people and dove and flopped and does did all the Felipe things, but positionally it was a little bit different than what he does in in Jersey. So I'm I'm curious if that's one of the places where the Red Bulls are vulnerable. If you break that first line of pressure, is is the break then on? Uh, yeah, and Kansas City kind of showed that that um, the Red Bulls once once teams get into their half, they're not effectively they're not as effective as getting pressure on the ball, and that's why they end up with these gaps that can be exposed all of a sudden because when you any team that wants to high press is taking the risk that they're going to leave gaps. That's the whole thing is that you're saying that leaving those gaps is a worthwhile risk given what you might gain further up the field. Um, but if you can't if you can't win the ball and, and pressure the ball when the other team does have it, those gaps are going to be... They're still there. Uh, your players aren't the flash. They can't all get back into position instantaneously. Um, and in those moments, that's where they're vulnerable. Um, with the way they line up, that second row of three is two wingbacks and Felipe. So those guys can't pinch in to help him. Um, so you have Davis and and uh, Adams trying to come back to pinch. They're, they're trying to drop back to help. And you've got the occasional step up from a defender, whether, you know, where the ball is, depending, you know, if the ball's to the right, you might see Mario step up a little bit to not necessarily abandon his center back job, but to at least um, get a little closer uh, to Felipe so that if Felipe needs someone stepping forward in, in the moment to help, that, that, that help's coming. Um, but still, that's a lot of guys having to do a little extra moving from their normal general position. And once you get into that, that's one, it's a high wire act, because if you misjudge something, you're leaving a giant gap somewhere or you're or you're either leaving the gap for them to play through or you're leaving a gap behind you. Um, so that adds to the risk of the whole system. And the other thing is it's it, it's just extra running like you, you have. The, the split seconds that develop all over the field, you're you're having to deal with those split seconds going to the other team. They've got that extra moment where you know, a center back needs to jump forward, and he's got to make up that 15 yards. Well, in that time, you've got time on the ball where that's a pocket of space that you can operate out of that generally wasn't there in the past. Um, so yeah, those those spaces around Felipe because of the all all of what's going on around him you end up with a lot of space to cover it actually reminds me now that I'm I'm thinking about it it reminds me of something that of all people Hans Baca uh cited when he when he first came in with the Red Bulls huh. a lot of people were like why don't you play out of a diamond you've got the personnel for it and he said that in his opinion there was a 10 yard gap inside the middle of the diamond that he just he couldn't he couldn't stand it um it's too much space for the other team to operate in his opinion and he said i can't have it it's those 10 yards i can't give them away um is paraphrasing what he actually said but the the basic point of it was that there was a gap being left somewhere that he couldn't tolerate being left and right now the red bulls are leaving a gap to the right and to the left of where felipe is in the midfield and they don't have a back three that's so good that they they get away with it so when when the Red Bulls have the ball, I mean, in the past, their attack was really premised on their high pressure defense, trying to force turnovers, you know, in the attacking end, essentially, and having a very quick transition to goal. That's where Kleschen, um, who's really a, a workmanlike number 10, um, 
I know when he and Felipe were acquired, everyone assumed that Felipe would be the more attacking of the two and Kleshin would sit and Marsh switched them and it turned out to be a very prescient move on his part. Mm -hmm. But the reason that worked is because Kleshin understands how to apply pressure and where to be and how to get into space as soon as the ball turns over and then he can find Bradley Wright Phillips for a, a quick tap in. If they're not forcing those turnovers, how are they going to come at DC United? Uh, it becomes much more plotting at that point um, because, you know, Question was really good at um, finding spaces where he's playing an easy pass rather than having to play a difficult pass. Um, and right now, those. I mean, I, I don't mean workmanlike. When I said workmanlike, yeah. I didn't mean it as a diss yeah, on Question. He's an honest player and really good, like you said, at that simple pass and finding a way to make the game simple for himself. Right. And, and, you know, if you're not the kind of player who can just pull off these audacious uh, pieces of brilliance that no one else can pull off, then, you know, how else do you figure out your problem? And it's, you know, what if I can just make this easier on myself? And that's his that's his way of doing it. Um, And he's he's been great at that. But right now, those pockets of space aren't popping up as often. Um Part of it is that the crowd of numbers that they end up with, with having too narrow, you know, their right winger is not really a winger at all. He's real right central midfield. Um, they're all kind of on top of each other, and that means that you're drawing in opposing players, and all of a sudden there's no room to breathe. Uh, so they don't really find, they, they aren't really generating as many easy pockets for him to play through, and all of a sudden his game has to be a little more audacious then it, it's inclined and this is kind of uh it, it kind of puts him at opposition to his nature in that position um and yeah I, I watching them lately it just it seems like they're i mean bradley wright phillips was anonymous other than his goal he's pretty anonymous in the open cup final against columbus again he was pretty much anonymous though he did he did score again, uh, which is the mark of a classic poacher, is that he can't really influence games but still gets on the score sheet. But when Bradley Wright Phillips is at his best, he's influencing games. It's not just that, well, he picked up a goal along the way. Um, he only had one shot attempt against Columbus. Um, and that's it's not necessarily on him. That's what's going on behind him. Um, Adams is a dynamite young player, um, but at the same time, he's not a creator either. Uh, Sean Davis isn't really a creative player. Um, so they don't really have anyone to, to pitch in and help them break defenses down in a, in a way that they didn't have to before. Um, they've got a lot of, to use Adam's word, they've got a lot of workmanlike players, um, which is part of the reason why this is going to sound strange, but uh, when they've been bringing Gonzalo Verone in, if they don't change formation, what they've been doing is playing Verone up front, and Bradley Wright Phillips is actually dropping into one of those midfield, uh, that, that line of three. Usually he's taking uh, Sean Davis's spot, um, which is bizarre when you think of Bradley Wright Phillips, and you think, why would you drop him into the midfield um, on, on any occasion? Why would you take him further from goal? But it's because they're looking for anyone that can be a little more creative um, and and clever enough to break defenses down. Um but that, you know, that goes back to their situation where they just, they don't quite have the players to be what they want to be, and they haven't figured out a way around it yet. Um, that's, you know, some, a player to look at that might solve that. They've brought in a guy named Mohamed Keita, who's a, I don't think he's played for Norway outright. I think he's like a Norwegian under 23, um, but he's an attacking midfielder. He's someone they brought in to sort of help address the problem. Um, Derek Etienne hasn't played a lot lately, but he's a, a dribbler 
Oh, he's got some speed. Um, but it's it's. I don't know that they know what the solution to their issue is right now. Um, but yeah, it is a it's a team that isn't necessarily able to make the game easy for themselves anymore. And when you've got a bunch of as we've seen as DC United fans, if you have a full team of guys who are super hardworking and and um, good at winning the ball, but not necessarily good at creating, you kind of find it dif- it's difficult to actually win games in that in that uh, circumstance. So you're Ben Olsen. How are you coming out against the Red Bulls? How what what are you trying to make sure you do and don't do in your game plan? Uh. I mean, you, you've definitely still got to look after the ball the very well because that that press is still there, and the numbers in the middle, um, they've actually increased their number of players in the middle in terms of when they press because they've got three guys lined up underneath Wright Phillips that are all playing within the width of the 18. Um, so you've got to be quick on the ball. You've got to be able to get it wide quickly um, to play around that high press. Um but yeah, you look for uh, look for those opportunities to break. Once you break that first line of pressure, there are going to be big spaces, and that in those moments you need to execute. Um, because the problem then isn't being clever or visionary; it's just well, the space is there. Can you make it count? Um, but yeah, I, I think the main thing is focusing on getting around that first line of pressure, getting the ball around that that first layer, uh, that that attacking midfield trio. Um, if you get it around them, all of a sudden you're going to find those big pockets on either side of Felipe. Um, you know, the other, another major thing that's always going to be in place with the Red Bulls is you can't give them set pieces without, if you're going to give them a set piece, it's got to be for a reason. So some of the cheap fouling that we saw, even in this game, you know, Lucho committed a few fouls that he should have avoided, um, for just, just as one example, um, that can't happen because the Red Bulls are still very clever. They're not as effective as they were in the past, um, for whatever reason, I mean, losing Colin definitely hurts. McCarty is a somehow very, very good at uh, getting himself on the end of set pieces, despite being about five eight. Um, so they're not as good at that, but they are still really, really. They work harder at that than anyone else in the league, and it shows. the The amount of time they spend on that has paid off. Um, so yeah, the set piece side of it's got to be good. Um, but mostly what United needs to do is they've got to be good at playing around that first line of pressure, because I think if they do that, then the Red Bulls that right now, that's kind of all, that's like their only card in the deck. They've got to get you on that first line. And if they don't, they're in trouble. Um, and so the game kind of, I don't want to say it hinges entirely on that, but it, that's a huge factor. If, if United's breaking that pressure, uh, early and often, then they should be able to, to go on and get a lead and, We've seen the difference with this team when they get a lead versus when they don't get a lead. Yeah. Um, so to wrap it up, the Red Bulls took the first of of three meetings in the Atlantic Cup this year, also at Red Bull Arena. Uh, so this will be United's chance to try to break the Metro's serve, essentially, and make that um, make that final game of the season, the rubber match, and try to I think retain. I think we're holding the Atlantic Cup right now. Uh, yes. Uh, yeah. And so, chance to retain the Atlantic Cup. Make sure it, you know, lives in RFK forever, uh, which would be which would be pretty nice. Uh, we will be back later in the week with the preview of the Columbus Crew game. I know I teased it earlier, but you got to wait around uh, until after the Red Bulls game to hear that one. Unless you're on Patreon, then you get to listen to it early. So. 
hey, bonus for them. That's it for us this week. Find us at blackandredunited.com and on patreon.com slash filibuster if you feel like supporting us financially. We're on Twitter at filibusterdcu for the podcast, at blackandredu for the website. Send your emails to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. Find us on iTunes, Stitcher, uh, Google Play, SoundCloud, the podcatcher of your choice. Mostly, though, please tell a friend about the show. Uh, that's really the best way you know you can you can promote us and and help us out. For Jason and Ben, I'm Adam, and we'll talk to you real soon. Say goodbye, Jason. Goodbye, lemon suckers. <laughs>